0: Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm on with Steve Keats. Steve, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure, Alex. Uh, this is Steve Keats, and I am the uh, Chief Executive Officer of Reliant Funding, small small business leading small business lending company out of San Diego, and uh, I'm happy to be with you today.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, I want to start off with a general question, um, kind of about, let's see, um, you know, the history of analytics jobs. Um, Tell us about how analytics as a job function has evolved, how the skill has been utilized differently over time.
1: I think, Alex, that's a great question. And I think, you know, in our our pre-call, um, you know, I did tell you that I've been around a bit and, you know, I, I've seen a lot of the evolution of analytics jobs. So, uh, you know, my career, I graduated State University of New York at Binghamton in 1979 in, uh, with a uh, degree in political science. Um, there weren't a lot of good jobs for political scientists at the time. So I got into direct marketing. And at that point. The analytics were just part of the the marketing manager's job. So, after a few years of of, do, of being on the sell side for what we called mailing lists, which became later known as databases, I went to work at um at an advertising agency that was owned by Young and Rubicam, called Stone and Adler. And, and my job was uh, an assistant account executive, but, but my responsibilities besides doing marketing strategy and relationship management with the client was to do the analytics. So we had one of the largest direct mail programs in business to business direct mail programs. And so part of my job was to do early spreadsheets for mail planning, and then to do detailed analysis of every marketing program that we did. So it was kind of like a uh, requirement of a good marketing manager to be able to do the analytics, to be able to understand the results, to uh, be able to understand the P and L, to be able to do the return on investment of the marketing and uh, of the marketing campaigns. But then I went into Citibank in 86, and probably in, in, in Citibank, we had a department that was called business planning and analytics. And so we now began to have specialization of folks who, folks who primarily, uh, Alex, I would say, worked in the finance department who wanted to have other types of careers besides just being in the finance department. So they would switch over to marketing or credit, and be part of the analytics groups who were then doing the, you know, the just basic spreadsheet kind of work, some data mining, but probably in the the late 90s is, is what we saw the movement of analytics uh, to decision science. And decision science took it up a notch, uh, Alex, because now the analytics work were being done by folks who had PhDs in statistics and math, master's degrees in math, and the level of analytics and level of precision and and using it for scoring and using it for prediction uh, really went from, you know, just being able to analyze the results to what we now, I guess, moves to different levels of analytics, ending up with, you know, real-time analytics or predictive analytics with specializations and computer software to support that work, which, you know, we wouldn't have imagined, you know, 30 years ago.
0: Wow. So I think one, one way to kind of summarize what you're saying is the analytics that we had, you know, a decade or two ago was what happened. And now we're looking into what is happening and what will happen as new areas that we can start to explore with analytics using decision science and and more advanced analytics techniques like you said.
1: Yeah, I think that would be the that would be one of the first points, right? The 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 uh, we would have a projection of how a program would do and then whatever eight weeks after the program ended, we would say how did we do on our projection, right? And now there's so much more real-time analytics, you know, one of the topics that became um, common in, you know, in in that, in those 20 year period was like next best product. So it was, how do you understand the customer? How do you understand lookalike audiences? How do you understand what's the next thing you should say to the customer to maximize the, you know, the, the, the profitability of the customer? And then again, not just not just looking backwards, but continuously adjusting. Right? We we would we would always want to make decisions at the end of the program. And now with, you see um, with uh, you know with AI and machine learning, changes are made to programs continuously. And so that, and that always came out of digital, right? We couldn't when we had more, you know, de- direct response television or direct response print or print advertising, direct mail advertising. We really had to sort of set it and forget it. Now with digital, you know, you could change, you know, minute to minute your media campaign, your advertising message, your 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 profile.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um i I really like the way that you're you're putting that that you know not only is the scope of time changing that we're looking at being more real time, but also the pace of the decisions is becoming more real time and computerized. Um, i want I want to ask about another thing that we talked about um in our previous call about, the closer you are to pure analytics, and how that can actually make it harder to succeed as a CEO or, or a high, you know, an executive. Um, what do you What do you mean by that? You know, I, I
1: think the, the the pure analytics cuts out the a lot of the external factors and cuts out a lot of the, the intuition about about a program. Um, so as as CEO I have to I'm responsible for 130 people and next year hopefully 300 million dollars in small business funding but I can't make it just on on what the latest statistics say I have to think about the statistics of course you know and and in our case we could look at it in, in in credit scoring right we could look at it in terms of statistics, but I also have to look at what's happening in the rest of the world. I have to look at what, what is the right thing to do for our staff. Um, look, I, I just went through a very interesting, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I'm working on a particular business problem I have, at Alex, which is from doing analytics, it became clear to me that I should widen the number of companies that I work with. For doing the funding, we have you know, Reliant has its own uh, its own credit line and makes its own funding decisions. But sometimes we use um, other companies to who will make loans to customers that we necessarily won't make loans to. So so I came up with this concept, and it looked like a slam dunk, Alex. Right? If you add more lenders to the to your platform you're going to do more business and i added more lenders and then when i went back and studied the outcome i actually didn't factor in the human touch of my salespeople and would they be able to deal with more providers so it's you know the math says it can't fail the human uh, uh, implementation leaves room for, you know, room for improvement.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. So did you find that total business increased after adding the lenders? Oh,
1: I, we increased, we increased the, the, the the interesting was we did increase our total business by about 50% by making that change, Alex. So that was pretty exciting. Right, mm-hmm. uh, but then I went back and studied the. We would previously, before I made this change, Alex, we'd probably work with five lenders, and I changed it to twenty lenders. And uh, what I was disappointed when I went back, because I'm always looking for everything to be optimized or maximized, was that one of we had one lender who we did a lot of, when we had five. We did a great job with that company in partner in partnering with them, and once I added, went from five to twenty, my business dropped off with them, and and I wasn't happy about that. I was I didn't ex- I expected it to sort of be what we might call Alex just like plus business, you know that, that you wouldn't actually see anything else deteriorate. So on the, so when you look from the top, you say congratulations, you increased your business fifty percent. When you start, you know, pulling it apart, um, that's when you, you say, well, here's where we could have improved. But, you know, one of the things about my, you know, the, the analytics marketing world of view that, you know, that I brought to the to the party since, you know, for a long time is to always analyze, figure how to do it better, Analy- iterate, iterate, test and learn. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 you can never expect perfection. There's always things to improve on. You know, another thing is from the external factors is is particularly Alex, I know you've talked to uh, folks in different kinds of companies, but in, in the credit business, we all rely on this credit score called the FICO credit score. And one of the things that happened in, in the pandemic was people stopped using their credit cards people got money from the the government and everybody's credit score went up right people's savings rate went up and you know i have statistical models that are based on you know probably four years of of credit prior credit usage prior to the pandemic and doesn't a high credit score mean the same thing in 2021 that it meant in 2019. And that that's, you know, another thing that from like the CEO chair, right. From, from the, you know, from the sales chair or the marketers chair, if the FICO's are up, lend them the money, but right. But if I'm, you know, if I'm also talking to other executives and other companies, we're all getting a little stressed out about, you know, we all love these credit scores, right? Because they are based on a lot of analytics and a hundred, you know, hundred eighty million Americans. Um, but, uh, but are any? But are they valuable anymore? Or do they have to go through a reset?
0: Wow. So you're saying that the context behind the numbers is changing, and so that affects the insight that you can draw from those numbers. And
1: you know, and I, I think what to be successful is you just have to be aware of the change and make it a, a, a and and maybe increase the way you do validation or stress testing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the, you know, it's but it's you know, it's different from for a marketing decision. You know, your your risk of a mistake is much lower than, you know, than in, in, the, uh, in a credit mistake, right? If I have, a, if I have a, a, a display ad that I'm running on Google and I put a bunch of money into it and it stops achieving the click-through rate, well, it just lowers my, it increases my cost per click, right? If I make a mistake on credit, you know, it can be very a very expensive mistake.
0: Okay. I see. Um, so, so you're talking about two different kinds of analytics. One is more business and operational in terms of who to lend to. And the other one is marketing based, which, uh, the stakes are a little bit lower because there's kind of only a benefit to it. And, you know, if, if money is wasted in marketing, it doesn't actively hurt the business. Right. The
1: amount of money you can lose, but if you, if you're marketing, you know, and again, again, you know, sounds like a little bit of a humble brag, um, but I like to say that I that City and Chase and some other jobs later, and may be responsible for six billion dollars in uh, marketing investment, but probably a hundred billion of lending. And it's in it's in the lending where you know where we make the money, and the lending is where we lose the money. The marketing it just has to be smart controlled and and understanding good principles of of testing right you see you know you'll see you'll see um you know and and i think in digital today is less waste than there used to be but people would make a decision in direct mail and they'd be stuck with the decision it could be out four five ten million dollars before they can you know, make an adjustment, you know, with the, the, power of the digital is the, uh, is everything changes real time. But, you know, the thing that's interesting is, is Alex, this concept of, uh, uh, uh programmatic advertising,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: where you kind of just tell the, uh, the, tell the, tell the model, uh, here's my target market, here's my budget go spend it and then based on clicks you know continue to mod- modify right and I love that concept um, it's you know it's it's much better than hoping that I can get a good human to do it but the budgets required to really get value on those sort of sorts of campaigns um, is really in the like unless you're spending a hundred thousand dollars a month you really don't get much. Yeah, value from those things and we've had great so i tried those things with smaller budgets alex um i also have been very happy with facebook right one of my one of my you know you imagine all the things i've done there have been different things i'm proud of but you know one of the things alex was uh, we saw we had not done any at relied funding we hadn't done any facebook marketing it seemed to be you know, it's, we're small business lending. We tend to lend to riskier types of customers. And you know, where, how would I reach them through Facebook? You know, what, what what would that be like? And and so I really limited, and I didn't think a company of our type should have Facebook, you know, relationships or Instagram and DMing each other. So I kind of locked that out you know, from when I joined in 2017. But then we saw what happened with the elections. So all the reports on the elections of 2016 and all the reviews on how that all went down. And I said, well, if they can figure out how to impact an election with Facebook. Can I figure out what to do? And I had a great digital team and we worked with Facebook and they created, you know, we gave them access, uh, you know, confidential Anonymize access to our customer base and they were able to come up with lookalike audiences and targeting and we, we, and we would just give them five different uh, Facebook ads and we would give them the, you know, the, the content and information on our customers and they would find and, you know, they would, you know, it's classic lookalike marketing, they'd find, you know, if I gave them customers that are matched on Facebook, they would then say, Okay, if this type of customer is who you like, let's find other people like that individual and we' were able to get so that's called lookalike audiences. And Facebook kind of does all that stuff for free. Um, and we've had a fantastic results uh, with Facebook doing the modeling and analytics. you know, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's machines, not humans uh, doing doing that kind of targeting work.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's so interesting. Um, have you tried advertising on different social platforms, like even like Snapchat or LinkedIn? Um, I know those are very different, but um... oh Snapchat I
1: was wasn't able to really figure out what we could do. but LinkedIn is very popular. It's a very popular medium. I mean, it's you know it's a business it's business Facebook pretty much, right? And um, we tried a number of different campaigns, uh, targeted campaigns, and none of them were successful. So I kind of use LinkedIn now as um, for branding, right? So we are always using um, when we have messaging from our you know positive reviews that we get from customers, we put them on Facebook, uh, excuse me, on LinkedIn. When we have um, other company-wide messages. We, uh, you know, we just got selected for, uh, I think a, th- uh, a, a trade show called LendIt has just selected us as one of the finalists. Oh, wow. For best, best small business platform. Best Congrats. small business lending platform. We're, we're finalists for 2021. And we put that up on, uh, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. And it does two things. It reaches the, the custom prospects but it also reaches you know, a company like ours, private equity health company. I have other uh, customer groups that I'm trying to reach, right? So I'm trying to send a message to my investors, I'm trying to send a message to potential future investors, I'm trying to send a message to uh, uh, potential employees, right? We expect to grow our staff account by 50% next year. So I use LinkedIn in that way. What we found with Instagram, which was it was very very similar uh, platform to uh, to Facebook. Um, you know, Facebook provided the same kind of marketing support for us, but it just didn't get the same quality. The quality of the customers we got from the Instagram was less than lower than the quality of customers we got from the Facebook. And and again, because I'm not interested in the branding aspect of it, right? I think for companies that want to just have their name out there, you know, Instagram is a tool, but I think if you are trying to, you know, use every, you know, one of my themes from my first, you know, responsible jobs uh, was you should, if you're a company that that can track the return on investment of every dollar that you spend, you should only spend money on things that you could track to return on investment. So I've been a believer in it, I I believe that the branding comes from high volume direct marketing, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. If you can't analyze it, I don't do it.
0: Okay. What are some ways that you track the return on investment for marketing?
1: All right. So, we have a series of, of of KPIs and the marketing funnel that we look at for anything that we would do. So, if I'm running search engine marketing, I will look first at the cost per click. And after I look at the cost per click, I then look at a uh, like a qualified cost per click. So, I'll have another statistic that I measure was that, you know, my target market is businesses with at least $60,000 in revenue and have been in, in business for at least six months. So I'll have a cost per click for all, then I'll have a cost per click for qualified businesses, then I'll have a cost per submission, right? I'm very focused on, on getting, once I'm on the phone, once we are on the phone with a customer, we, um, you know, we have uh, our sales representatives in um San Diego. They're they're on the phone and they're trying to get the customer to complete a very short application. And the application is it's free to apply. And so we, we then track what's our cost per submission. So after we get our cost per submission, and then the customer submits the application. We look at some credit information on the customer. We look at their banking information, because we're a small business funder that makes our decisions based on looking at the customer's bank account and their business bank account. And so we look at their business bank account and then I'll have an approval rate after I got the submission, what was my cost for an approved account? And then I look at what's my cost to get them to say yes and then what's my cost to actually fund them. And then even to go further than that, we use 65% of our customers' Who we'll do one loan with us will do a, a second loan. So I then measure what is the what is the cost or likelihood of the customer doing a repeat loan with us, and and it eventually ends up with a lifetime value measurement. That's amazing.
0: That that's like everybody's working towards that, and then balancing the lifetime value against the consumer acquisition cost i think that we're we're that's the direction everybody is evolving in
1: yeah i think you know whether it was by accident or on purpose you know i ended up in financial services where we were in having that kind of language forever right because we were pretty we were direct to consumer we didn't have you know, you know, retailers in between us. We didn't have channel conflict. We just had, you know, we sent out, we sent out our mail back in the day, you know, and people responded and then we measured, you know, how long they would stay with us and how much money we'd make from them. And from that, all, all of my, you know, what in, you know, in the mid O's I ended up taking a lot of those skills to the, to, to internet savings accounts. So, you know, I, I had worked at, at, at uh, City for about 15 years and then went over to Chase credit cards and had a pretty responsible job over there for six years. But a, a friend of mine was vice chairman of City, and he said, Steve, we just got funded to do an Internet savings bank. And he said, would you come back and run it for, for me? And so we became president of Citibank Bank Direct. I took all those different techniques I talked about. In um, credit card, direct mail acquisition, and and lifetime value, and brought that to the savings account business. And we did an online savings account business that we went from from nowhere to the forty seventh largest bank uh, in the United States in about in about twelve or fifteen months. Again, again, using those kinds of you know measure measure every step, uh, continuously testing look like value. that
0: value—that's amazing. I think that's an that's a great note to end on, um, and I hope that uh, whoever is listening really learned from this because um, I mean, you you really did it right, Steve, and um, it's it's amazing to see, and and I'm and I'm really happy to to have gotten to chat with you.
1: Well, I hope that you know I hope that some folks will listen to our story, um, and you know we really I guess we we got through it pretty quick. So you know maybe uh, maybe maybe in 2022 or later in 2022 we'll do we'll do part two I would love of the uh, of, of of the marketing analytics uh, uh, explosion and, and what it can how you can make a career and have fun along the way.
0: Absolutely, thank you. Uh, thanks thank for coming you. on.
1: Thank you. Bye now.
0: All right. Bye everyone.